As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. This is Scientific American's 60 Second Science. I'm Jason Goldman. In the early 19th century, the fur industry reached what was then known as the Oregon Territories. Lewis and Clark found massive numbers of Pacific salmon and steelhead trout there, swimming among the beaver dams scattered across the Columbia River Basin. But in an effort to starve American interests, Canada's Hudson's Bay Company tried to create a fur desert by killing off as many fur-bearing animals as they could. As a result, beavers had all but disappeared from the area by the year 1900, and once the beavers and their dams were gone, fish populations dropped. Today, steelhead trout numbers in the region continue to fall, but scientists and government agencies are working to restore their habitats. We're looking for restoration approaches in these areas to recover ESA-listed species, but we really don't know what works and what doesn't. Nick Bowis of the environmental consulting firm Ecological Research at Utah State University. He says that the U.S. spends a billion dollars each year to restore watersheds, but without any real empirical information to guide those efforts. So Bowis and his team tested the idea that by helping beavers, they could help the fish. Dams naturally alter the flow of streams, providing fish with a variety of suitable habitats. But the watersheds have become so degraded that there's not enough woody vegetation available for the beavers to build strong dams. The flimsy ones they do build get washed away whenever there's a big storm. The idea was, can we reinforce these dams 
so that they maintain um, their integrity during high flows and can be maintained by beavers to capture the sediment to reconnect that floodplain. For seven years, the researchers compared Bridge Creek, which had lots of artificially strengthened dams, to Murderer's Creek, which had none. And in Bridge Creek, the fish flourished, despite the view held by some that beaver dams are bad for fish. The results are in the journal Scientific Reports. Beavers, they're really good at making a mess of a system, and it's that messiness that is exactly what we're looking for by creating more complex fish habitat. And costing just $11,000 for each kilometer of stream, artificial dam reinforcements are much cheaper than conventional restoration methods, since the beavers do most of the work for us. And that is a damn good deal. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Jason Goldman. The Mortgage Voice is Jeff Barton, your mortgage advocate here on KCAA. Jeff informs you of the ever-changing mortgage industry. Mortgage loans can be confusing and overwhelming, but Jeff and his guests will help you understand the difference in various loans and help you own or keep your home. Trust is the major issue here, right? If someone doesn't trust you with their most intimate financial details and secrets, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to do a loan. Tune into The Mortgage Voice every Saturday afternoon at 3 and Sunday at noon here on KCAA. 1050 AM and 106.5 FM. Join me, Mike Cano, for Mike Cano's Comedy Party, Tuesday, February 21st at the Ontario Improv Comedy Club at the Ontario Mills Mall. Two lucky couples will join me for laughs, dinner and drinks, plus VIP meet and greet with the comedians. Doors open at 7 p.m. for live music before the show. The show starts at 8. We've got live music, three headliners, and tons of free giveaways. It's not just a comedy show, it's a party. See you there. That's right. Don't forget to join us on Tuesday, the 21st. Me, myself, Anthony Biscotti, and the Commish. We're going to be at the Ontario Improv for Mike Hano's Comedy Party. To enter the contest, submit your Valentine theme photo to commishkcaa at gmail.com. Commishkcaa at gmail.com. Winners will be announced on Wednesday, February 15th at 8 p.m. on the Commish Hour. Be creative. to the Commission and CX2 Hour every Wednesday night from 8 to 9 for your favorite old school jams and to find out what's happening locally check us out on the radio at 10.50am, 106.5fm or online at kcaaradio.com you can also listen in by calling 832 999-1050 832-999-1050 Moms and dads, do you remember the fun you had going to the theater when you were a kid and watching great movies? I haven't had anything like it since I was a kid. You can share those moments and movies with your family. Well, then why didn't you say so? Using the new Spider app, available for both your Apple and Android devices. It's a free download. I'd be a fool not to at that price. Treat your family to great entertainment. That's S-P-Y-D-A-R. Spider. Do it now. Miss something today, yesterday, last week? Check out our podcasts at www.kcaaradio.com. We leave no listener behind. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas, with Pastor David McNary. The book of Luke chapter 16, please. Luke chapter 16. When I begin with a question, the question is this. 
how will you die? In the day in which we live, everything is geared towards living long and productive lives. In fact, there are people today who think that they're not going to die, that they're not going to die. In fact, there are some who take steps to keep from dying by, when they get to where they're almost there, they go ahead and get frozen and then somebody's going to thaw them out someday and they're going to be okay whenever they find a cure for their disease, whatever it may be. Wow. But there's very little talk about death unless, you know, someone we know has died or unless we hear of some tragedy and there's a lot of that going on right now in the news. And then we begin to think about death. But even in those times, I think we're somewhat confused about the priorities of the matter. When you think about death, there ought to be some priorities that we think about or that we consider. But we're confused about those things. And rather than concerning ourselves with someone's preparedness, we wonder why they had to die. You ever notice that? We want to know the cause. Well, well, what caused their death? And we want to think about what we could have done to prevent it, don't we? A preacher one time said, we spend more time trying to pray and keep people out of heaven than we do praying for people who are going to hell. And it's okay to pray for people who are sick. They we're not talking about that. But we need to also be praying for people who don't know Jesus so that they could come to an understanding and know that they likewise are going to spend eternity in heaven. If by chance we happen to think about our own coming demise, we always wonder about when, don't we? We wonder about when. Well, God says, Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That verse is divided into two parts. The first part speaks of the fact that everyone eventually is going to die. The second part speaks of what comes after death, and that part is vastly more critical, vastly more important. This matter of judgment is much more important than the fact that we're going to die. The truth is, I heard Brother Ronnie Yarber say this years and years ago, the truth is the death rate is 100%. So when will you die is not nearly as important as how will you die. Today I want us to look at the deaths of three biblical characters and see the different levels of preparedness, for lack of a better word, for each one. The first is found in Luke chapter 16 and beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now listen to this verse. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and... Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. 
Beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from thence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. In other words, if you're not going to do something for me, at least do something for my brothers. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them, he said, No, they won't do that, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And that's a pretty important and critical thing because we think, you know, if something, some, something miraculous happened, then some of the people who don't know Jesus would believe in Jesus. And, you know, we've, we've seen some things like that happen, but it never sticks. It never sticks because all that person is looking for is the miraculous to happen over and over and over again. Well, let me tell you about this rich man. This rich man died unprepared. You see, concerning the level of the rich man's preparedness, the Bible says he wasn't. It says in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. His tombstone epitaph would read, Here lies a man who had everything. He had everything he ever wanted, but he died unprepared to meet God. Now, I want to tell you something. You can be prepared in a lot of other ways, but if you're not prepared to meet God, then you're totally unprepared. You're totally unprepared. And he wasn't lacking in knowledge. He wasn't lacking in the knowledge of the necessity of being prepared. The Scripture tells us that he spoke, in verse 24, he spoke of mercy. He said, have mercy on me. In, the, in verse 27, he spoke of prayer. He said, I pray thee, therefore. You see that? In verse 28, the first part, he spoke of the importance of preaching. He said, For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them. That's what it means. That's what preaching is. It's testifying. You and I, we're all preachers in a sense because we're to be busy testifying to the power of God. He spoke in the latter part of verse 28 of with urgency. He spoke with compassion now he may not have even got along with his brothers but he knew one thing that they were fixing to come to where he was and he didn't want that to happen to them he said that he may testify to them lest they come into this place of torment he also knew about the bible verse 29 talks about the importance of hearing moses and the prophets that's all the bible they had you see in those days and he knew about them and then he also spoke about the need to repent. Listen, this man was not ignorant concerning what was important. or He wasn't lacking knowledge of the necessity of being prepared. He just waited too late. There's another parable that's found over in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. I want you to listen to part of this. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought, what shall I do? I have no room. And he said, I will pull down my barns and build greater. And I will say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. 
And he goes on to say, So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Is not rich toward God. You see, we get so caught up in preparing for our future here on earth that we leave God out. That's what our that's what's wrong with our culture today. People are so interested in living long lives and preparing for that long life that they're going to live here on this earth that they say, well, well, you know, we really got this handled, Lord. You just take a back seat. You just let us alone. We're going to do this our way. This man thought he was prepared for many years in the future, but he died totally unprepared. And not only was he unprepared, but he was unconcerned. We need to somehow or another get, get off of this attitude of unconcern. We need to be concerned about those who are around us. First, the rich man died unprepared. Now, I'm going to turn your attention to another passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, and we're going to read one of the saddest, most eye-opening stories in the Bible, especially for those who call themselves believers in Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the Scripture says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the prize, his wife also being privy to it. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard those things. Folks, I believe that God included this story in the canon of Scripture as a warning to his children. Now, there's no reason for us to believe that Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and by the way, if you read on down, you read about her demise also. I think that there's no reason for us to try to think or believe that they were not Christians. I think they were believers, that they, that they had come to a place where they called upon the name of the Lord in faith. And I believe that God left this story for us so that we might read. You see, it shows us that one can be a good person it shows us that a person can be, in fact, a child of God and still face the wrath of God for his unfaithfulness to the Lord. I think many have come to the conclusion that just because they're believers in Christ, they can do anything they want to do, anytime they want to do it, and not have to pay for it, not have to be punished. There were no consequences for their actions. And I think part of that is the result of our wonderful doctrine of eternal security because people get to thinking, well, you know, I can do this if I want to. I can go off in sin. I can do whatever I want to do, but I'm still going to get into heaven. Yeah, that's true. That's what eternal security means. And that's what we believe. But just think about the price you may have to pay while you finish living out your life here on earth. It's true we can't lose our salvation once we have it, but we can be disciplined for our sin in this earthly life 
maybe even to the point of an untimely death, as in the case, I believe, of Ananias. I think it's interesting to notice that Ananias' unfaithfulness surfaced in matters of stewardship. You know, I've been at this a long time. I've been pastoring for full-time pastoring for 40 years. It always makes people uncomfortable whenever you start talking about stewardship. And you know what? I don't preach messages on stewardship. I don't spend time just on one subject. But I, I think it's interesting that that was the thing that, that, uh, that got him, that got Ananias. You see, he had made a commitment to give all that he received from the sale of that piece of land. But when he and his wife Sapphira saw how much it was, they said, whoa, 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 whoa. They don't need that much. You see, they'd made a commitment. They'd made a commitment. And finally they said, oh, they don't need that much over there at the church, you know. They don't need that much over there at the church. Do I think that this was the only area of unfaithfulness in Ananias' life? No. No, indeed. I don't believe it was. But his greed was the straw that broke the camel's back. I really think there were a lot of other things going on. There were a lot of other problems, a lot of other unfaithfulness. But I want you to know that Ananias died unfaithful to the Lord. He died unfaithful to the Lord. And it was his unfaithfulness that brought about his untimely death. So, how will you die? Will it be like the rich man who died unprepared? Or will it be like Ananias who died unfaithful? Or maybe it could be like our third example. His name is Stephen. And what we're going to see here in chapter 7 of the book of Acts is that Stephen died unafraid. Stephen died unafraid. Verse 55 of chapter 7. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. How is it that a man can face the unknowns of death without fear? Well, here's how. Unlike the rich man who was unprepared to die, Stephen had gone through all the preparation. He'd already experienced the love of Christ through faith in his name. If you haven't read about Stephen, you need to read about Stephen. This passage is part of it, but if you go back over into Acts chapter 6, you'll read where Stephen was selected as one of the first seven deacons in the church in Jerusalem. He was a powerful man of God. I'm, I'm going to share a little bit of it, but 
Go back there and read about Stephen. The second thing, he had confessed his sins. Now, you know the thing that causes fear in our lives is guilt. Guilt is what brings about fear. He wasn't guilty. Now, why was he not guilty? Because his sins were covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus. They were covered under the grace and the mercy of God. Not only that, but his hope was securely set. He knew without a shadow of a doubt that his final home was going to be heaven. And there wasn't going to be any of this junk that goes on around here. Not only that, but he knew the peace of God because he had the indwelling Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit of God had moved in and taken over. So unlike the rich man, Stephen was prepared to die. And unlike Ananias, Stephen was faithful to the Lord. The Scripture tells us that he delighted in and believed the Word of God. Acts chapter 6 and verse 5 says, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Stephen was a man full of faith. Not only that, but he was filled, as we said, with the Holy Spirit. Verse 55 says, He being full of the Holy Ghost, not just indwelled by, and, and maybe I need to explain that because some people get that confused. Whenever you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moves in, okay? You are indwelled by Him, but you're not always filled with the Holy Spirit because you see, sometimes we want to take over and we shove Him aside. We relegate to Him a closet in our heart or a place away from leadership, and we don't allow Him to do that. But this leads us to believe and to understand that Stephen was unlike most of us, and he was full of the Holy Ghost most of the time. Not only that, but he was a man of faithful service under the Lord. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of faith, and power did great wonders and miracles among the people. You see that? He had so committed himself and surrendered his life unto God that God was using him to do mighty things. God was using him to do miraculous things, things that other people couldn't do, and it was all for the glory of God. He wasn't taking any of the credit. It was all for the praise and the glory of God of Almighty God. And folks, I want to tell you something. Stephen died unafraid. He wasn't afraid to die. And the reason was because he was prepared and because he was faithful. Listen to those words again about what it says. What it says about his final moments on earth, okay? These were his final moments. He knew it. I, there was no question that he knew it. He took his stand on the Word of God and the people were so angry with him that they threw him out of the city. The Scripture says he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and cast him out of the city and stoned him. They stoned Stephen while he was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Lord, at the same time, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know, I looked at that and I thought, I've always thought that that meant that he finally succumbed to the stoning. But I'm not sure that's true. 
I'm not sure that's true because Stephen was at peace within himself. Can you just see that picture? An angry mob throwing rocks. Can you just see that? Here's the man of God standing and people begin to throw rocks at him. We're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about pebbles like kids do now. We're talking about big rocks. We're talking about the kind that you can really get your hand around. Baseball size, softball size stones. And they start throwing them at him. Finally, he said, okay, Lord, we've taken care of business. Now, don't hold this against them, Lord. And so he just walks on and just lays down and curls up and goes to sleep. Because he had peace. He had the peace of God. He knew that this wasn't the end. He knew he was going to be in heaven pretty quick. Pretty quick. Well, my friends, someday you will die. I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news. It's just true. It's a reality. Maybe sooner than you think. So the question is, how will you die? Not when, but how will you die? If you died this very moment, would you die like the rich man unprepared to meet God? If you died this very moment, would you die like Ananias, knowing the Lord already through faith, but being unfaithful to the Lord who saved you? Or if you died this very moment, could you say without a shadow of a doubt that you would die like Stephen, unafraid? Unafraid. Listen, if you're a child of God today, I want you to know something. You're a winner either way. You're a winner either way. You see, if you live here on the earth, you get to enjoy this life. You get to be here for your friends and your family. You know, I can't tell you how many times, well, I don't really preach. I don't want to die right now because my family needs me. Well, they're going to be all right, you know. They're going to be all right. Could you die like Stephen, unafraid? Well, you can if you know Jesus as your personal Savior and your Lord. Dr. Walter Wilson was talking to an atheist one day when the atheist said, I do not believe what you are preaching. Dr. Wilson responded, you've told me what you do not believe. Perhaps you'll tell me what you do believe. The atheist replied, I believe that death ends all. Wilson said, so do I. What? You believe death ends all? Wilson said, I certainly do. Death ends all your joy. Death ends all your projects. Death ends all your ambitions and all your friendships. Death ends all the gospel you will ever hear. Death ends it all for you, and you go out into outer darkness. As for myself, death ends all my wonderings, all my tears, all my perplexities, all my disappointments, all my aches and pains. Death ends it all, and I go to be with my Lord in glory. The atheist said, I never thought of it that way. And then he fell down and prayed to receive Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Folks, we're all going to die, and death ends all. Will it end all of the good things that you know in this life? Or will it just end all the bad things and be better because you'll be in the presence of Almighty God? You know, every person needs Jesus. My prayer is 
that if you don't know him yet, that you'll meet him before you leave here today. You see, the most important and critical thing that I can ever tell you is how to be saved. How to be saved. How to believe in Jesus. How to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. How to know that you have eternal life. How to, how to know that when you depart this earth, and you will, that you're going to go to be with God in heaven, and you're going to be there, like we told the children a while ago, forever and ever and ever and ever. With God. With God. Prepare yourself, please, to meet God when you die. Father, thank you for the stories that you've left us, the, the Bible studies that we've had. And Father, thank you that we can know the truth and the reality about ourselves. And Father, we know that if we don't know Jesus, if we've never called upon the name of the Lord in faith, that, that heaven is not going to be our home. And it's a frightful thing to die without the Lord. So, Father, I pray for those who are here today who may not have ever trusted in Christ that today would be the day. I pray, Father, for the Ananiases and Sapphiras in our group today that, well, we just kind of got caught up in living our lives in the world and just haven't been faithful to the Lord. Father, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts today. I pray, Father, that we might be encouraged today to call upon you to find forgiveness for our sins and to begin afresh and anew to walk with you, to make a new and lasting commitment with the Lord, to, to repent of our sins and turn away and follow Jesus. And Father, I pray you'll speak to our hearts. Maybe there's other Lord decisions that need to be made today. You're speaking to hearts right now, and I ask you to continue to minister and speak. And Father, call upon us to make those commitments that we need to make today for the praise and the glory of Jesus. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. If you have a Bible with you today, let me invite you to turn with me, please, to Revelation, the book of the Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3. Now, as most of you know, I'm sure, chapter 2 and chapter 3 contain the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There are letters from Jesus. If you look at it, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you'll notice that the words are in red. These are the words of Jesus to the churches. And we want to deal today with the church at Laodicea. We'll begin in a minute in chapter 3 and verse 14. But before we do that, I want you to stop and think just for a minute. Can you stop long enough to think back to the time before 9-11? Now, does everybody here know what I'm talking about when I say 9-11? The attack on the United States. Can you stop to think back to that time? Times were good. We enjoyed great freedom. And, and nationally, we weren't afraid of anybody or anything, were we? We weren't afraid of anything. For ages, we had avoided any kind of confrontation on our own soil. But then came 9-11. Everything changed. Do you remember? Everything changed. We were put on alert. Air travel changed. And all of those freedoms that we enjoyed seemed to be put on hold. That's when America entered the war on terrorism. And there's nobody harder to to beat down than terrorists because they don't fight fair. And we're used to fair fights, aren't we? Immediately, everyone of Eastern descent suddenly became suspect. And that, that hasn't changed a lot. Not that it's right, but it hasn't changed a lot. But you know, another interesting thing happened because people began to rally together and people began to think about spiritual matters. There was a renewed interest in what it was that the Bible had to say about what happened here in the United States. Immediately afterwards, people flooded to the churches and they flooded to the places of worship and many, many decisions were recorded in those churches. What we did was we vowed to never forget or go back. We made a vow to never forget or go back. Well, here we are, 15 plus years later, and I wonder where the people are who made those emotional decisions right after the attack. I, I wonder. Brother Vint and I were talking a little earlier about the record as the record stands in your bulletin, and it shows how many are in attendance on sun for Sunday school and how many people are in attendance for church. And you look around and you see a lot of vacant seats. I can remember times when these seats were all filled, and right after 9-11, we saw that happen where the building was full, and there were people who made decisions. What happened to those commitments? Looks to me like everyone has settled back into the old unawareness of a lifestyle of complacency. Complacency is very detrimental to the church, folks. It's very detrimental to the nation, and when we become complacent, then things happen, we're not paying attention. We're back to the place where we enjoy the bounty and the blessings of the Lord with no reverence, with no respect, with no fear of God. We live in a time where there is no fear of God. I hope you fear God. Yeah, it's an awesome reverence that we're talking about, but it's also a fear of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He said, you don't have to be afraid of a man because all he, can, he might be able to kill you, but he can't take your soul. And yet God is in control of that. Well, when you study 
the Old Testament and the history of the Hebrew nation, and we've been doing that over the last several weeks in our Sunday school lessons. Whenever you study the history of the Hebrew nation, one thing becomes very clear, and that is this. When they served the Lord, they were blessed and enjoyed great success. But when they abandoned the worship of the Lord, they were judged. And they fell into various kinds of struggles to include famines and droughts and wars and even captivity. They were so wishy-washy that no one could really tell whether they were God's people or not. I sure hope nobody applies anything that this, that's said here today to their own lives or to the nation in which we live. You see, there was no consistency from one generation to the next. And it seems that the only thing that really got their attention was when God lifted his mighty hand of protection and allowed them to be taken over, taken captive, when God allowed judgment to come. Well, all this reminds me of another time in history, another age, and another word of warning from the Lord. And I want you to listen to it as we read in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Revelation 3, beginning in verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to notice today with me, if you will, please, the problem is sin. The problem is sin. Now, folks, whether you have stopped to think about that, you can apply that just about anywhere you go. The problem, the problem is sin. First, he deals with the nature of their sin. They were suffering, the Laodiceans were suffering from a problem with arrogance and worldliness and complacency and self-sufficiency. Those things were all true. When you read what it says, the way he confronted them with their sin, that's exactly what was going on. They had literally shut the Lord out of their church. Now, he's writing to the church of the Laodiceans. Be sure to make a note of that, okay? This is a First Baptist Church of Laodiceans who he's writing. No, maybe not First Baptist. May have been Second Baptist or Third Baptist. May have been Pruitt Baptist of the Laodiceans. I don't know what the name of it was, but he was writing to the church, and they had literally shut him out of their church. What did he say? He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. 
Let me back in is what Jesus was saying. Let me come in. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. He didn't say, I'm going to open the door myself. I'm going to knock. I'm a gentleman about this. If you don't want me in there, I'll stay out. And there's a lot of people today that don't want God in their business and they want to lock Him out. But Jesus said, if you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. You see, they had arrived at the conclusion, according to Jesus, that they were rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Folks, when any church body reaches that stage of self-righteous independence, their identity is lost to compromise. Now, compromise can be a good thing at times, but I want to tell you something. We don't need to compromise about the things of God. Now, the world will tell you that you do. Well, you need to compromise. You have to, you have to give us a little something. You know, you have to, you have to allow these things to happen. Well, what happens if in the area of compromise is if you compromise on this little detail right here, the next thing you know, they're going to say, well, now look, we've got this other thing we need to talk to you about. Let's compromise. And then you're going to compromise on that. What happens is you have a snowball effect. And then instead of it being one little detail here, you come to find out it's the whole ball of wax, you see. It's all brought together, and we begin to compromise on everything. Well, listen, Jesus said to them, you've lost your identity. He said, thou art neither cold nor hot. You're just lukewarm. You're just lukewarm. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that no one can tell if you're with me or against me. Just like the Hebrews in the Old Testament, they didn't know if they were on God's side or not. Now, I want to tell you something. When I think about the word lukewarm, first thing I think about is a bottle of water. It reminds me of that bottle of water sitting in the cup holder of my pickup. And I've gone inside, hot summer day, I've gone inside and I come out and there sits that cool, refreshing bottle of water. And the natural thing, the first thing you want to do if you got a little thirst going on, the first thing you want to do is grab it, pop the lid off of it, and take a big old swallow of that cool, refreshing water. That is until you get a mouthful of it, and then you're looking for some place to get rid of it. You've been there, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about. Listen, that's the way God's people were all through the Old Testament times. Now, there were times whenever they were on fire for God. And there were times when they abandoned the Lord and Jehovah worshipped completely. But most of the time, or much of the time, they were just neither hot nor cold. They were just lukewarm. There were a lot of times when godly convictions were in short supply. Sure hope you don't try to apply that to our culture today. That was the condition that Jesus was dealing with in the church at Laodicea. Their Christian convictions were non-existent. They, 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 were, they were all but wiped out. Their witness to the world was, was gone. And you know what? Just maybe we need to look at our culture and see if there's some similarities today. If you watch the temperature of the local church now, and, and I've been doing this for a while, so I've watched churches and I've watched them go up and down and I've watched the temperature of the local church. And whenever you 
do that, you'll discover that there are seasons when everybody's on fire. You know, just a couple of years ago, we were all on fire because we had the crusade that was, you know, we had something to work toward and something to give toward and something to be a part of. And there were hundreds of commitments that were made at that crusade. Shouldn't be any room in here. You see? There's times whenever the church is on fire, they're, they're on fire for God and excited about what God is doing, but it seems that far too soon the fire is cooled and the church finds itself neither hot nor cold, just lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. Whose fault is that, you know? Is that the preacher's fault? Listen, I'll take my share of the blame. But I think it somehow or another falls on all of us. If I was the only Christian and, and I was in charge of all of y'all, that'd be different. But I'm not, you see? You and I are the same in that way. Because God has sought us out and He has offered to us His grace and His forgiveness so that we might be called His children. Oh, His children? Yes, which means we need to live like His children. We need to be concerned enough about people around us that we're willing to share Christ with them. We suffer today in our churches from arrogance, worldliness, complacency, and self-sufficiency. The problem is sin. Oh, I said that before, didn't I? The second thing I want you to notice is not only the nature of their sin, but I want you to notice the nausea of their sin. The nausea of their sin. Basically, what Jesus was saying to them was, you make me sick. Words of verse 16, So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will spew thee out of my mouth. It was nauseating. Their sin was nauseating to Jesus. Now, I've come to the conclusion that we take this matter of lukewarm Christianity far too lightly. We have fallen into our culture's mindset and, and we just don't look at it as sin. But when Jesus says the way we are living makes him sick, we should maybe make serious note of that. I realize that it maybe doesn't seem like what they were doing was all that bad. I mean, you know, what they were doing was just what comes naturally, you know. They were working and going about with their lives and doing what people do. They were going to ball games or down to the theater or whatever. They were doing what they were doing. They were Black Friday Christmas shopping and so on and so forth. They were doing what people do every day. But the problem was that they had declared their independence from God. You see, they worshipped self and stuff that they, had that they had acquired. And anytime God's people turned their attention away from Him to other idols, other altars, other things, it's a serious problem as far as God is concerned. And I want you to think about this. Of the seven churches to which Jesus wrote, this is the only church for which he had no commendation. There was no praise offered to this church. In all of the other six churches, he commended them on the things they were doing right. He commended them on the things that they were doing good. But really, in reality, they were suffering from idolatry. You see, the problem is sin. 
Well, the third thing I want you to notice out of this passage of Scripture is the necessity resulting from their sin. The necessity, not only the nausea of, but the necessity resulting from their sin. Jesus said that what they needed was to repent of their sin. As you well know, that word repent means to turn around. It means to turn around. It means to turn away from. Jesus noted that they believed that they had need of nothing. They had need of nothing. They had everything they needed except they weren't spiritual. You see, they didn't realize that. They were messed up. They were confused in their minds. He said, you think you have need of nothing when in reality... It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. To, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know what they were? They were spiritually homeless and spiritually destitute. You think of the worst condition that a person can be in from a physical perspective. They were that way spiritual. So the Lord counsels them to reevaluate, to reevaluate what is most important. And He counsels them to make their priority the things of God, so that that would be first in their lives. He talks about going after gold that's tried in the fire, and that gold is talking about true riches. They thought they had everything they needed. We're in need of nothing. They thought they had all the money that they needed. But he says, don't go for that. Don't follow after that. Money will lead you away from the will of the Lord. He said, get gold tried in the fire, the riches of spiritual treasure. He says, white raiment that thou may be clothed, that white robe of purity. Now that's talking about a purity of a style of life. It is the result of your faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, you need salve that you may see. You need salve that you may see. And I thought about that. I looked at that and I thought, okay, then what's he talking about here? And then I came to this conclusion, the problem is sin. But the second problem is that they didn't realize it. They didn't see it. They were blinded by their own self-independence and self-sufficiency. They were spiritually blinded by their arrogance, by their worldliness, by their complacency, and by their self-sufficiency. So Jesus counseled them to repent. He counseled them to be restored to full fellowship with Him. Because, you see, when we neglect to spend time with Jesus we lose our way, you see. We lose our way and we lose our identity and we lose our 
sense of what's valuable. We lose our sense of what's worthwhile. What is the most valuable thing? I want you to think about this. What's the most valuable thing in this room? You. Your eternal soul is the most valuable thing in this room. You know how I know that? Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for it. He paid the ultimate price for your eternal soul. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He said, I'll come in and we'll have fellowship. He said, I'll come in and our fellowship will be restored as he spoke to this church. Well, we began all of this today remembering the time just before and just following 9-11. Before, we were living the American dream in freedom and without fear. But it was a time of arrogance and worldliness and complacency and self-sufficiency. We had moved God out of our government. We had moved God out of our courtroom. God is the one who makes the laws, but we took him away so that we can make our laws to suit us, you see. We took him out of our schools, and we weren't paying attention to what was happening. It has been the demise, in fact, of our nation. Then after the attack, people began to ask, where's God? How could he allow something like this to happen? Can you remember how many times you heard that? Now, you heard it a lot on the liberal news. If there is a God, how could he allow this to happen? After all, we are the United States of America. Many people made decisions, and we vowed to never forget or go back. Yet here we are, 15 years later, and I wonder if we're not back to business as usual. I wonder what happened to those decisions that were made, where are the people who made them, and what changes, in fact, have been made and kept by all those who are still faithful to the Lord's house on the Lord's day? Are we really doing what the Lord has commissioned us to do? In closing, I want to pose this one question. Have you ever, have you ever wondered how many of those killed on 9-11 had never heard the gospel? Have you ever wondered how many of them had never believed in Jesus Christ? And do you really believe in heaven and hell? Now, if they haven't heard, they're lost in eternity in hell. If they haven't believed and they had the opportunity, they're lost forever in eternity in hell. But the question is this. How many people do you know that you've never shared Christ with? How many people do you know that are not believers in Christ, but you've never shared the gospel with them? 
You see, that's the big question, isn't it? Of all of those that died, how many are actually in heaven? Or how many were so caught up in arrogance and complacency and self-sufficiency and independence from God? How many of them said there is no God? Or how many of them said God's not involved in their lives? You see? They need the opportunity. Jesus died for everybody. So they need the opportunity to hear the gospel. And you and I are the ones God chose to tell them. He chose us to be his children and to bring others into the family of God. Our Father, we're grateful today for the word of the Lord. And God, we're thankful today that we can read it directly out of the Bible so that we might hear and understand and Father, it seems to me that you make it very clear that we have a responsibility. Father, we know that there were many who made decisions around the time of 9-11, and there were many who made commitments, and many of them kept those commitments. But Father, I wonder if we really have been concerned enough about those who are around us. As a church, Jesus said this church was lukewarm, but it was neither hot nor cold. Nobody knew where they stood. Nobody knew if they were really a church on fire for God and father I pray that we might not ever reach that place in this body in this fellowship I pray that we might not ever reach that place where we think that we don't have to tell people or don't need to tell people about Jesus because God that's what you've commissioned us you've commissioned us to do and so Lord I pray that you will help us today to recommit ourselves to the faithfulness of sharing Christ wherever we go. And I pray today that if there's someone here in this place who's not ever committed their life to Christ, that today would be the day that they would see the need to do that, knowing that Jesus is the only chance they have to get to heaven. Speak to us now, Father, I pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to the service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 9.45 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. Let's Talk Pills. To treat everything from allergies to heart problems, half of Americans take a prescription medicine every day. And nearly all of us reach for the pill bottle on occasion. It's perfectly safe, though, because the Food and Drug Administration regulates the ingredients that go into those medicinal compounds, right? Yes, assuming they're produced in the USA. Um, aren't they? Mostly, no. Take antibiotics. The New York Times reports that ingredients for the majority of these bacteria fighters are now made almost exclusively in China and India, as are the components of dozens of other major drugs. 
Unbeknownst to most Americans and to our doctors, China has become the world's preeminent supplier of medicines. As one major drug company puts it, if tomorrow China stops supplying pharmaceutical ingredients, the worldwide pharmaceutical industry would collapse. What's at work here is mindless globalization and deregulation. Our politicians threw open the U.S. market to drug imports while also letting foreign manufacturers go uninspected and unregulated. So companies located in China can cut corners and undercut our own regulated pill makers. America's last producer of penicillin's ingredients, for example, shut down in 2004, leaving us dependent on China. FDA, our supposed watchdog, doesn't even know where a drug's ingredients come from. Why? Because drug companies say they don't like to reveal their sources, so they don't. The Times found that one federal database lists the existence of about 3,000 foreign drug plants that ship to the U.S., while another lists 6,800. No one knows which is correct, if either. This is Jim Hightower saying, this is ridiculous. For the sake of America's health, security, and economy, let's regulate all pill makers and rebuild our own industry. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Is it talent and experience that makes some women so successful? Or is it how well they communicate and are understood by other people? An executive coach shares career advice that can help you influence and connect with others. Oftentimes we think it's talent and effort that is most important when it comes to success. But we often leave out the power of how we speak and our ability to connect with people. Then, in the last two decades, there have been hundreds of school shootings. Now, research finds a previously hidden factor. There's been a lot of variation in prior research on the effects of unemployment on crime. And here, in terms of gun violence in schools, we're seeing a uniformity that hasn't been so clear before. Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show. InfoTrack gets underway right after this. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. Wow, look at these roses. They're gorgeous. You didn't have to get me these. I couldn't let Valentine's Day come and go without surprising you with flowers. Oh, thank you. Guys, this Valentine's Day, even though she says you don't have to get her flowers, take it from me. Send her flowers. She'll be so happy when you do. And right now, you can get her a stunning bouquet of two dozen assorted roses with a free glass vase for $29.99 plus shipping and handling. Just go to proflowers.com, click the blue microphone in the upper right corner, and enter secret code 2626. These gorgeous roses are guaranteed to stay fresh and beautiful for at least seven days. Plus, you pick the delivery date and it's guaranteed. Hurry, you must order by this weekend to get two dozen assorted roses with a free glass vase starting at $29.99. Beautiful flowers, amazing prices. It's a no-brainer. The only way to get this incredible deal is to go to proflowers.com. Click the blue microphone in the upper right corner and enter secret code 2626. That's proflowers.com, code 2626. Allergy sufferers are hearing a lot of numbers these days about symptoms and relief. But the number sufferers want most is zero, as in zero nasal allergy symptoms. And nothing gets you closer to zero than Nasacort. Because unlike antihistamines that stop only one cause of your allergy symptoms, Nasacort stops more. And stopping more gets you closer to zero. 
For 24-hour relief of your worst nasal allergy symptoms, including congestion, choose Nasacort. It stops more of what makes you miserable. Use as directed. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison, here to tell you GEICO has more than just great savings. Much more. Yes, while GEICO could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest-growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, GEICO has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than GEICO. GEICO. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. When it comes to career and personal success for women, our next guest says the most important skill is how well you connect and communicate with others. With this story, here's InfoTrack's Lisa G. Lisa? Thanks, Chris. We are speaking with Valerie Burton, who is the author of Successful Women Speak Differently. And you are the perfect person to speak to because I think a lot of women could use a lot of help when it comes to this. And so since you're the expert, tell us what you think the biggest problem is for women when it comes to being heard. Well, I think there are a couple of things that are really important. One is the fact that oftentimes we think it's talent and effort that is most important when it comes to success. And those things are important, but we often leave out this missing piece, which is the power of how we speak, what we say, what we don't say, and our ability to connect with people, which can open doors and build bridges. But for women in particular, one of my concerns is the research around how often we underestimate ourselves. And because we underestimate ourselves and we underestimate our abilities, we don't speak up oftentimes, whether it's for a big opportunity professionally or it's interpersonal conversation when you wanted to say no about something because you really didn't have the time, but you want to be nice. And so you end up saying yes anyway. And so it's really important for us to notice as 